Hey, writers, join our first draft weekly writers club. We meet every Tuesday from 12 to 1 Eastern time. For more information, go to writingclassradio.com and click on the classes tab. This is Writing Class Radio, where you'll hear true personal stories from the students in our class and a little bit about how to write your own stories. I'm Allison Langer, a student in the class. I'm Andrea Askowitz, the teacher of the class. Together, we produce this podcast, which is equal parts heart and art. By heart, we mean the truth in a story. By art, we mean the craft of writing. No matter what's going on in our lives, writing class is where we tell the truth. It's where we work out our shit and figure out who we are. There's no place in the world like writing class, and we want to bring you in. Today we're talking about creating a likable narrator. The narrator is the I in the story. It's you. Here's the shocker. People don't want to hear how great you are. I see this a lot, and I probably did this a lot when I first started writing, and that is tell a story about a time I was the hero. No one cares. What works in a resume does not work in a story. It's true in life, too. On my first date with Vicky, I could have told her all the things about me I thought were awesome. Like, I went to Penn, I had a child on my own, I wrote a book. But instead I told her all these bad things, like how I was really needy which was not something I wanted to reveal. And then I told her this really embarrassing story about a man I had had bad sex with like a week earlier. I didn't know how she'd take it because some lesbians are not open to bisexuality. As I was speaking, I kept wanting to back up, like, stop, I'm making myself look so bad. But I think this is why Vicky fell in love with me. What people totally connect to in a story and in life are times when you're vulnerable. I think this is counterintuitive for most people because everyone wants to show a good face, but we connect to a narrator who's willing to admit something ugly. So just to be clear, ugly does not mean bad. By ugly, we mean the stuff you don't want people to know. Stuff like when you were a jealous bitch, when you lost your moral compass, when you were mean to your kids, when you had bad sex with a man. <laughs> that's the best ugly you can get. I, I can help you with more ugly. That, you want that's some ugly? I have. No, that's bullshit. <laughs> that was bad. You can't think of any more ugly. No yeah, more ugly. You shouldn't have done that on a date with a lesbian. Oh, for Did God's sh- sakes. We're talking about the truths you spend most of your days covering up. If you're worried about how to find the ugly in your story, tell the truth without leaving out any of the good shit. Here are five tips on how to be a bigger dick in your story. (laughs) (laughs) Number one, dig deep. Number two, admit something you haven't told anyone. Number three, look at yourself from your partner or kids or best friend's point of view. Number four, always be the biggest asshole in your story. Number five, try to be self-deprecating. If, after trying all these tips, you still can't find the ugly, ask Allison. Here are two examples that came out in class in response to a prompt. 
First is student Misha Morrell, who told the story in our last episode. I think more than I do. And the kind of thoughts I have are not always that interesting either. The other day, I sat in a coffee shop glaring at this barista. An incredibly attractive, tall young man with a perfectly groomed beard, treating everyone with this smug charm like he was only operating at 35% because if he turned it up anymore, our dicks would all explode. (laughs) I sat there and thought about what makes some hot guys the worst fucking people on the planet. I fumed as I saw him thwart eye contact with customers and apathetically call up small iced coffee. Fuck him. I fucking hate him. He's so goddamn big and perfectly toned, he'd beat the shit out of me. I asked Maya, my girlfriend, who'd been sitting next to me this entire time, Hey, do you think I could beat that guy up? She looked at me with such bewilderment and just said, No. (laughs) She then started laughing, Misha, no. Fuck that guy. A few days later, I saw him sitting at the cafe office shift. And he was studying out of a big GRE test, test book. I realized he's just another guy trying to make something out of himself, do something with his life. Fuck, I thought. I guess he's not so bad. You see, I spent about a week thinking about this guy, only to finally decide he's just a guy I don't know and is probably fine. But just as soon as I arrived at that thought, I remembered how dicky he was and how smug and fucky he was. And I fell right back. Fuck him, I thought. (laughs) Oh my God, Misha kills me. He's so good. I know, I know. Right away, he tells us the guy is hot, which lowers his own social status. So I like him right away. And then he totally commits to hating the guy. Yeah, because we all hate those those guys, those cool guys, the attractive cool guys, because fuck, right. especially at my age, at our <laughs> age now. I don't like anyone cute. And we all like the underdog. Next up is student Karen Collazo, who's told a few stories on this podcast. A few weeks ago, I went out to the FIU library to try and get some writing done. I work from home half the time and I have two roommates, so I thought a change in scenery would inspire me to write the greatest piece I've ever written. Before passing the turnstiles, I popped into the bathroom. Though the ride to FIU from my apartment is a short one, my bladder was on the verge of exploding. For some reason, whether a short or long car ride, I immediately have to hit up the bathroom as soon as I arrive at any one of my destinations. It's annoying and has nothing to do with how much water or coffee I've had that day, but it's my current reality. I didn't have time to survey the stalls, and I just ran into the first one. As I'm relieving myself, I notice a Microsoft logo on my right-hand side above the toilet paper dispenser. Someone has left their laptop in the bathroom. Without thinking, I grab it and throw it in my black bag and flush. Maybe, I think, it belongs to an international freshman student who beat the odds and is the first in their family to go to college. Maybe this was a purchase they made with their little savings or a gift. Maybe I should turn it into lost and found. But then I convinced myself that a poor college student with only one prized possession, this laptop, wouldn't be so dumb to leave it behind. Nah, I continue. 
This belongs to a rich trust fund asshole who probably doesn't even use it for school. The Google search history probably would probably show me a bunch of shopping websites and social media activity. Then I open the stall and there she is. An innocent, scared, and worried little skinny student. I'm sorry, but did you see a laptop in there? Yeah, here it is. I was going to take it to Lost and Found. Oh, thank God. The truth is, I was never going to Lost and Found. And I can't remember a time when I would have gone to Lost and Found. I see opportunity. I see money. I see a prize when I find something that isn't mine. I'm kind of an asshole like that. And I've always been an asshole. I've always wished I were a better person. Oh. <laughs> so good. I love that. Like... I'm an asshole. Yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> me too. Let's be friends. The voice you just heard was Missy Hernandez responding to Karen being a total asshole. And who doesn't love an asshole? Especially an asshole who wants to steal a computer. Fuck, man, that would have saved me $1,000. Oh, God. <laughs> the thing about Karen, though, is that she knew she was do- what she was doing was bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But she did it anyway. And that's why we love her, because, like, we want to do it, but, like, <clears throat> something stops us. And she did it. Does she, something well. stop us? Yeah. I mean, she would have stolen that fucking thing if that girl hadn't come in, for sure. I know. But still, she knows it was bad, so she's done the self-reflection. I... Uh, I love this narrator. Yeah. I know. I loved her, too. I don't know. I mean, there's something about it. Like, we love a good thief who's who knows that they're, like, being an ass. Yeah. I mean, who knows that they're being bad. I'm so excited to get to your story later in the show. But first, a public service announcement and then a word from our sponsor. I'm teaching a class at Creative Live. If you're dying to see my face for radio, you can. On January 15th, 2018, I'm doing a 90-minute class called How to Tell Your Story, and it's going to be broadcast live and for free at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time. That's 90 minutes of my face talking about how to tell your story, January 15th, 2018, on creativelive.com. Don't miss it. But if you do miss it, you can catch me anytime on Creative Live, anytime after January 15th, part of Creative Live's Writing Week, where you can also watch a whole bunch of awesome teachers teach different aspects of writing. Check out creativelive.com. It's twice a day for 45 minutes. At 18 months, he fell walking into the house and received six stitches just above his eyebrow. In preschool, he put a hot dog down a girl's pants, kicked his teacher, and spit on the director. This week in first grade, the talking and pushing got so bad that Sloane's teacher took away his playground time, then moved him to a desk in the corner. At home, anything can set him off on a screaming, throwing, cussing fit, a tag that touches his skin, a drawing gone wrong, or a frustrating math problem. Homework is a disaster. He chooses shirts and pencils and cannot sit for longer than 10 seconds. Sloan loves to eat, but according to Sloan, nothing is ever cooked right, tastes right, or is hot enough. He makes piles with the taco meat, then drops the piles into a water glass to see if the meat will float or sink. The plate and the water end up on the floor, a mess he refuses to clean up. 
I scream at him, send him to his room, and follow behind, spitting my words with rage. Clean up your fucking mess. You're acting like an asshole. Why did you have to be so difficult? I know I get out of control, but I can't stop until I feel my chest tighten and my head start to throb. I wonder what Lena is writing down. This mother has lost her shit. This lady will be an annuity. I tell Lena that Sloan is crazy. He's erratic, has outbursts, and a violent temper. He has zero control. I tell her about the trampoline. Sloan's sister Blake was on the trampoline with us. He was pissed because he wanted me to himself. So when the game of trampoline chase didn't go exactly as he thought it should, he began calling us cheaters. Blake and I left. He started screaming, I hate you. I hate you, you fuckers. You fucking cheaters. I'm going to kill you. Days later, he tells me that he doesn't really hate me and he doesn't want to kill me anymore. I believe him. I tell him I know he said those things because he was mad. Like when you called me an ungrateful little piece of shit, he asks. Yeah, like that. I really want Lena to suggest some ADHD meds that will fix my son and our family, but she doesn't. Instead, Lena tells me that kids like Sloan are really tough and that I'm doing a really great job, that I can tell her anything and she won't judge me. So I tell her, sometimes I wish I've never had him. Lena asks about my other kids. I tell her that Jackson was two years old when Blake and McLean were born. Identical twin girls. Cute and hellish. So much harder than I thought. When the twins were 16 months old, their pediatrician told me McLean's heavy breathing and difficulty swallowing food was because she had a ring around her esophagus. An operation to snip the ring was scheduled. But a week prior to the surgery, McLean choked on a french fry and died. When I got pregnant with Sloan, I was 41 years old and only eight months into the grief. A baby would fill the hole in my body and in our home. Lena says, wow, that's a lot to put on a child. Lena looks into my eyes and I feel her trying to gauge how her words hit me and my eyes well up. I stare at Lena. I wonder if my mom ever sat in a therapist's chair and complained about me. I wasn't a nice daughter. I didn't like being told what to do. When asked to clean my room, I refused. I didn't care if I lost my dessert or my TV time. I rationalized that, well, dessert will only make me fat, and I'd rather read a book than watch TV. Exactly what Sloan says to me. Also like Sloan, when I was asked to get ready for school, I dawdled. You're going to miss the bus, my mother would scream. Your brother is ready, and I only had to ask him one time. Why do you always have to be so difficult? I imitated her mean look while repeating her words under my breath. Behind my bedroom door, I listened to her rant on and on about how if I would just listen. As I got older, we continued to fight. She felt that I would be better off if I wore her clothes, studied more, hung out with her friends, and ate vegan. I didn't. She told me that I was nothing like the girl she wished for, like the little girl she was to her mom, kind and adoring. Our arguments always ended with her screaming, I hope you have a child just like you. I think, well, Mom, you got your wish. Lena hands me a tissue. And she repeats, wow, that's a lot to put on a child, especially one like Sloan. 
Lena explains that Sloan might have sensory and executive functioning issues, proprioception dysfunction, or mild autism. I barely know what any of those things mean, but I still feel relieved. I'm not a bad mother. I have a child with special needs. In the car on the way home, I calculate the cost of Lena every week. Therapy for his proprioception dysfunction and sensory issues. Karate for his self-control. Run club for his energy and someone to drive him around while I cook dinner and drive to golf and gymnastics. The total monthly cost is $1,660. That's $19,920 a year. How am I supposed to afford that? The next day, I found Kirk Martin's website offering help to parents of children with ADHD for only $150 a download. That's less than one visit to Lena. I downloaded. Then I power listened for two days. Kirk described my son. He described me. He described the struggle. We react, lose our shit, take privileges away. Children feel like they cannot do anything right, and they end up with low self-esteem. They become angry and violent. Most parent-child relationships never recover. Kirk, like Lena, recommends that parents start by controlling themselves, staying as calm as possible, and not reacting. So last night, after asking Sloane to brush his teeth and get ready for bed, I let him dawdle. When I saw him slither to his room, on the floor, pretending to be a snake, I let him. I felt my heart rate speed up, but I took a deep breath and closed my eyes. Then I calmly walked in and kissed him goodnight. Holy shit. Wow. That's good. Uh, I mean, I like you so much because you admit, you admit these these ugly things. Like, you're so honest. I think that so often, and especially in this story, you say these things that that so many moms think and were afraid to say. I just have a question about that one line, the line about, um, I wish I'd never had him. Like, is that a line you're okay with putting out there? Because I'm worried about Sloan hearing that line. Yeah. No, I get it. Um, That's the thing I didn't want to say. Like, it was easy to say I've screamed at him and I yell at him and things are tough and he has this problem and that problem and this and that. But, yeah, I mean, that's – I've – I've often wondered, like, what it would be like just to have two kids. Wouldn't it be so much easier? This one kid is so hard. In the first draft, it didn't have the part where I said I didn't want him. I didn't even, like, want to put that in. I didn't want to admit it to the class. Yeah. And then I I know that if it was me and I was reading a story, I'd be like, does she even want that kid? Oh. And I, I, I needed to say it because it was true, and I needed to admit it. I'm sure one day he will hear it. And what I would say to Sloan is we went through some real shit and I learned a lot (laughs) about myself. And and I think I'm a better mom and I appreciate him so much. And we've grown through it. And he's just this funny guy. Everyone loves him, but he's very difficult to parent. What you're saying is we have to tell the truth in our stories and we have to tell the truth in life. Yeah, we can't be afraid to hurt people's feelings because I do think it opens a line of communication so much better and helps us grow, for sure. You did everything we talk about in terms of creating a likable narrator. You dug deep. You admitted something so big. 
something that I was not even sure you should admit. You looked into yourself. You, um, you were kind of the biggest asshole in the story. Yeah, you were. Yeah. I'll let you know in 10 years when he reads it. <laughs> and hates my guts. <laughs> well, the story is so well done. So, so good. Trying to be likable is not the point. The trick is be vulnerable and tell the truth. Thank you for listening. Thank you for contributing to our 20 plus 2 campaign. There are so many generous people out there who warm our hearts and pad our pockets. Just kidding. We aren't getting rich over here. But you're helping us get it done. Thank you. Please continue to tell your friends about us. If you have a business or startup, let Andrea help you tell that story. She'll come to your office and teach all your employees how to better articulate why they do what they do. Because stories sell. And I'm for hire too. Let me help your high school senior write their college essays. And hey, all you writers out there, we want your story on our show. If you're inspired, enter our contest. Send us your best 1,200 words. The prompt, secret pleasure. The deadline is February 14th, 2018. Writing Class Radio is produced by Misha Morell, Virginia Laura, Andrea Askwitz, and me, Allison Langer. Theme music by Ari Herstand. Additional music by Wal Matthews, Jaya Rathna, and Misha Morell. And thank you, MJ, for sponsoring this episode and helping our listeners edit their stories. Writing Class Radio is sponsored by and recorded at the University of Miami School of Communication. There's more writing class on our website, Twitter, and Facebook. Study the stories we study and listen to our craft talks. There's no better way to understand ourselves and each other than by writing and sharing our stories. Everyone has a story. What's yours? What happens when we play outside? We become healthier, both mentally and physically. We become more creative and more focused. We connect with nature, each other, and ourselves. Let's Take This Outside, a new podcast hosted by me, Marianne Iveson, an aspiring outdoor athlete and nature lover. I speak to athletes, outdoor professionals, and scientists about their connection to nature, how it affects their performance and everyday life. Let's Take This Outside, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and at ivisonvoice.com slash podcast.